I don't know if you've been in situations where you have misread it completely and found yourself doing something or in a situation which you're like, if I understood what was going on, I would not be here. I would not be doing this. I feel like this kind of thing happens to me semi-regularly. Um, I, one particular time which stands out for me uh, was when I was in year 10, uh, I got invited to go to a formal and it was pretty exciting because it wasn't my formal. Like I went to my school formal and I didn't invite anyone to go with me. People spent the whole time being like, who are you going to take, Tom? And I was like, I'm going to take a book. And they're like, ha, ha, ha. And then I went to the library and borrowed a book and took the book to my formal just because I thought it was funny. And then I started reading it at the formal and it was quite a good book. So that was good. But anyway, so I did not, uh, I did not you know, take anyone to my formal, but I got invited to a formal and I got invited to a formal at a girl's school. So I was like, whoa, a girl's school. Hey. And uh, the person who, who invited me, uh, she was someone who I knew from church. And we were, there was this group of friends uh, that I hung out with. There was like four of us. It was me and this other guy and then this other girl. Um, yeah, that was four. And, uh, and we would hang out together. So she invited me like months before the formal. And then she fell in love with my best friend who we also hang out with. Um, and then the other girl from our group, we were going to the formal together, but my best friend, he was not going. So we went to the formal. The other girl from our group, she'd invited the guy that she had liked for years. And so there was this, this new four of us, this new quadro. What's the trio? What's the quartet? We were a new quartet. Uh, yeah, well, we, we were very musical people. So we were the, we were the quartet, the, the, this new quartet, me, the girl, and the, the other girl, and the guy that she liked. We were there at the formal. And then we went to the formal, and we sat down. And then at the table, um, the girl I was there with, she kept leaving with the other girl. And they would head off to the bathroom all the time to talk about the, guy that, that, the guys that they liked. And then the other girl would come back and my date would disappear and then she'd go and get on the phone and try and call my best friend to talk to him because she really wanted him to be at the formal and not me. So the whole time was like, I was just like, oh, you're here and you're not, you're here and you're not. And then it was just mostly me making awkward conversation with the other guy who I didn't know that well. Anyway, so that was the formal. And then we left the formal, went to the after party. After parties, if you may have heard it done, everyone was drunk. Uh, not my friends, but pretty much everyone. There were lots of people from my high school, my primary school there. They were all drunk. I didn't get drunk. I did eat some yogurt, I think. <laughs> or I had a conversation about yogurt. I can't quite remember. It was a long time ago. But yogurt was involved. And then, and then we left the after party. We went back to um, the house of the girl that I went with. And then she went to bed quite quickly. And I stayed up sitting on the couch. I was talking to my other friends. This guy and the girl that, you know, those two who went together. And during the night, we were chatting. Uh, and what I didn't notice is that they, they were getting closer and closer to each other on the couch the whole night. We were just sitting there in the dark. I did not know. I just thought we were just three people having a chat. <laughs> and they, they would get closer and closer. And, and we're just having a good time. And then about 5 a.m., I stand up and be like, all right, I'm just going to go and check if it's getting light yet. Because that would be interesting, wouldn't it, if the sun came up? So I... <laughs> I stood and I, I went out and I looked and I'm like, oh, it's getting light, it's grey. And so I came back and I sat down in my chair and I'm like, it's getting light. And I heard nothing. I'm like, and then I heard. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm here for their first kiss. 
this is not where I want to be. I've completely misread this situation. If I had known that they were going to be having their first kiss, I would not be in the room. I would have gone and found my bed, wherever that is, and I would have slept in it, and I would not have been here for this most romantic of moments. Because it's not romantic if your weird friend is sitting there while you guys are having your first kiss. And then they stop kissing, and then the guy's like, oh, well, I'm going to go to the bathroom. And he heads off, and then the girl was like, well, that took years to happen, and then goes to sleep. And then he comes back and sits down and chats to me for another few hours till the sun does properly come up, as if nothing happened. It was so awkward. It was the worst. If I totally misread that situation, I did not think that any kissing was going to happen that night, because... I was the guy that took a book to my formal. <laughs> what we see in this passage is that we see some people who completely misread the situation. And it doesn't involve kissing, but it does involve people who should definitely know better. They should definitely know how to read the room. Now, what's going on here is that Jesus is talking to his disciples. But just before the passage that we had read... Jesus tells his disciples what is about to happen to him. So if you look just a little bit further up in your Bible, uh, Jesus says this from verse 33. He says, We are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. So Jesus has told the disciples what's about to happen, that they're heading to Jerusalem, and very clearly he has told them that he is going to be killed. And so you would think that the disciples would then, they would think, oh man, this is tough, this is a big deal. And James and John speak up and talk to Jesus, and they say this, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, this is a very smart thing that Jesus does, because if someone comes and says to you, can you do me a favor? The smart thing is not to say yes, but to say, what do you want me to do for you? Otherwise, you might commit to something that you don't know what you're committing to. I remember this uh, just the other day. I was at the shops and there was a man sitting on a bench and he, and he looked a little bit under the weather and said, excuse me. I think he'd been to an after party. He said, can you do me a favor? And I was like, oh, I remember what Jesus said in the Bible. I was like, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, buy me a six pack of VB. And I was like, ah, I'm glad I didn't commit to that because I have done responsible service of alcohol training. And I know that if I buy you a VB and you've had too much to drink, then I could be fired upward of $2,000. So I said, no, I cannot do that. And I saved the man from extra drunkenness and I left feeling like a very good person. Now you can remember that. That's an important tip for your life. Don't commit to something uh, before you know what it is. It's very important. Jesus knows he doesn't fall into the trap. And, and so then the disciples, James and John, tell them what they want. Now, you would think after Jesus had just said that he is about to go to Jerusalem and die, that they would, Jesus, can, can you do for us whatever we ask? And they'll be like, let us look after you. Let us care for you. Let us find out how we can help you in this hour of your need. Because this must be tough. You are going to die, Jesus. How can we, how can we be good supports to you? But they don't say that. They say, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. They have completely misread the situation. 
All they have heard is that they're off to Jerusalem and their minds have gone, oh, we're going to Jerusalem with the Messiah. He's going to become king. We would like some thrones with the king. They're not thinking about Jesus dying. They're just thinking about themselves, their own greatness. They want to be the best. They want to be the people in charge. They want power. And they're like, Jesus is our ticket to power. And so they ask Jesus if they can sit on some thrones with him. Lucky he didn't fall into their trap. And he says, you don't know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. And there they just fell into their own trap because they have no idea what Jesus is talking about. He's like, can you drink the cup or be baptized? They're like, yeah, for sure. They don't know what he's talking about. They have no idea. They've clicked yes on the terms and conditions without reading them, which I'm sure is going to come back to bite me one day. I always do it, but one day someone's going to knock on my door and say, Tom, we're here to collect you for medical experiments. I'd be like, what? It's like, when you downloaded that app, you agreed to get your head transplanted onto an ape. And I was like, what? I just wanted to click little bubbles and get 2048. That's what I wanted. I was like, well, no, medical experiments for you, Tom. Anyway, why I'm getting distracted here. But, but what Jesus has said to them with the cup and the baptism, like he's not talking about just, you know, a general having a drink or a general baptism. He's referring to the cup of God's wrath that is coming for him. He talks about that in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, take this cup from me. He's talking about God's wrath is about to be poured out on him at the cross. And baptism, we don't know exactly what it is, but it's probably the baptism of into death. Paul talks in Romans about how baptism is a symbol for death. And Jesus is saying, I am going to be destroyed by God. I am going to die. Can you do that too? And they're like, yeah, for sure. Because they don't know what they're agreeing to. But, he's, but then he goes on to say, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those who, sorry, these places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Jesus is saying, you guys are going to do what I do. And they're not going to get thrones. They're not going to take those places that they want. But they are going to, you know, face death. James goes on to become the first apostle to be martyred. John, if church tradition is correct, was boiled alive because of his commitment to Jesus and then exiled to an island by himself. These guys are going to do what they've been called to do, but they don't get thrones, but they do get to follow in the steps of Jesus. And then the passage goes on to say this, when the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Now you would hope that they were upset with James and John for being so insensitive and misreading the situation. But I suspect the reason why the other disciples were upset were because they didn't get to think of it first. They're like, why did James and John, you know, sneak in in front of us and try and steal those thrones? We want those thrones. It should be a democratic process or we get it voting like, you know, reality TV. But there's no way, you know, that, that they should get it and we shouldn't get it. These guys are upset. And so Jesus decides that he's got to give them some more instruction. He says, you know, those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise control over them. Not so with you. Uh, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
Jesus is telling us here what true greatness is. True greatness is not sitting on a throne and ruling over people. True greatness is not getting to be the prime minister or the president or the CEO of a corporation. True greatness in God's kingdom is becoming a servant. It's becoming a slave. True greatness is found in serving other people because when you do that, you are doing what Jesus has done for you. Because the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. If you want to know what true greatness is like, you look at Jesus. You look at Jesus the King, who did get enthroned, but His enthronement was on a cross. A King who did get a crown, but His crown was a crown of thorns. That is true greatness, when the greatest of the universe becomes the slave and gives His life as a ransom for all. His life for ours his death so that we don't need to die, him getting punished so that we are not punished. That is true greatness, that the greatest of all would give his life for us who do not deserve it. And so if you want to be great, then you follow in those footsteps of Jesus. You give your life for others. You serve others. But so often we misread the situation too. So often we see Jesus as a ticket to our own greatness. We see leadership as a chance to enhance our own reputation. And we don't want to make the same mistakes as the disciples. We don't want to misread the situation. How many times have you heard the phrase, well, that'll look good on your resume? Often uh, leadership in school is about, you know, what can you do that will enhance your opportunities to get good jobs in the future? Uh, or you might, you know, see this chance that you're like, oh, if you become a leader at school, uh, then you can, that will give you a good opportunity to become a prefect later. Maybe you get to be a crew prefect or a chapel prefect, like that'll be good for you. Or maybe if you volunteer somewhere, you'll get something, you know, put on your blazer or you'll get a special badge that we can see leadership as an opportunity to enhance our own reputation. We can misread it and say, well, Jesus, well, this will be a good thing for me to build me up. But we misread the situation because leadership is not about that. True Christian leadership is about serving to follow in the footsteps of our great servant leader, Jesus. Let's not be people who misread the situation, who, do, who misread leadership. You know, I, uh, when I was in school, I got to be a leader in my lunchtime Christian group. And I didn't do it for my resume and I didn't do it so that I could get anything put on my blazer because we didn't have blazers at my school or sewing machines. So we, uh, we, we, I did it for completely different reasons. I, in my school, uh, one of the things that happened is every uh, Wednesday after school, we would have a leaders meeting. And at the leaders meeting, uh, we would be given Tim Tams and Monty's. And so I would go to the leaders meeting and I would say nothing but I would sit there and I'd eat as many Tim Tams as Monty's as I could. I would be the disciple who said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, may I have a never-ending supply of chocolate biscuits. And he'd be like, Tom, you really need to think bigger, mate. Like, come on. And the other good thing that I, reason I did was not just for the chocolate chip, the chocolate biscuits, but also because of the people I got to spend time with. When I was a leader, they said, Tom, we would like you to run a prayer group at school. And... I was like, man, that sounds terrible. 
I, I like, I don't want to tell people I'm running a prayer group at recess. Like, that'd be the worst. I'm like, you'll have to run it with this girl. I'm like, that sounds great. <laughs> yeah. And there was this girl who was fun and pretty and I would have to hang out with her and then have to talk to her, like make, have some planning meetings to talk about our prayer meeting. And then, and then, so then I was like, this is amazing. And I was the guy who took a book to my formal. So I didn't get to talk to girls very much. So here was this opportunity to talk to girls. Hooray! So I saw leadership not as a chance to enhance my own reputation, just to enhance my own, you know, opportunities to talk to pretty girls. I don't know the reason why you are in leadership. I don't know the reason why you have volunteered, if it's for, you know, for your reputation, uh, for your chance to hang out with people, for your chance to eat chocolate biscuits. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, don't get it wrong. Because you are not here for you, whatever it is. You are here for others. You are here for Jesus. Your leadership is to follow in the steps of Jesus who gave his life as a ransom for many. You know, the thing about leadership and the thing about servanthood is that what jesus says here is that servanthood is greatness now often we think oh if i serve then that will be a good pathway to greatness if i serve then people will see what a great servant i am be like good on you mate and you'll be feel great about yourself but that's not saying that if you serve you will become great it's saying if you serve it is great that even if you spend your whole life serving in the background and no one notices you, that is greatness because you are following in the footsteps of Jesus. Now, you might be um, thinking, okay, well, what does, this, what does this mean practically? What does this look like? Well, first thing I think it means is that you need to check your heart. You need to ask yourself, why am I doing what am I, I am doing? Why am I in leadership? Am I in leadership for me or am I in leadership for others? Am I in leadership for me or am I in leadership because I want to follow Jesus? Am I in leadership to enhance myself or am I in leadership to serve others? You need to check your heart. And it might be that if when you look at your heart and you realize that you're in it for all the wrong reasons, that you need to step out. and need to say, I'm not going to do that anymore. Or it might be that you, you can say, oh yeah, you know, I'm doing all right. But you also might know that actually, you actually have mixed motives. You might be thinking, Tom, you know, if I get asked to do a talk, I know part of me is like, I just want to serve my group. And part of me is like, I really love the chance I get to stand in front of people and people will look at me and I get to tell them what I think. How do I deal with my mixed motivations? Or it, it might be um, that you're that you just, when you're at the front, you're, you realize like, wow, I'm having a great time. Everyone loves me. This is great. And you're like, should I not do it because I'm enjoying myself? Well, the truth is you're always going to have mixed motivations. And so you can check your heart and it might be that you need to step out or it might be that you just need to keep going and keep working and keep asking Jesus to help you so that you can get it right. Because you're not always going to get things right the first time you do something. Like when you were learning to walk, the first thing you, you probably did is you kind of stood up and then you took one step, maybe two, and then you fell over. And then your parents weren't like, that was rubbish. You are the stupidest child ever. <laughs> two steps. 
you are never walking again. You're just going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of your life. We've had enough of this. You can't do it right the first time. Don't do it at all. Like that didn't happen. Or when you first tried to write the alphabet and you showed it to your teacher, they were like, look at that. Your P's and your D's are around the wrong way. And you've totally missed like the whole middle section of the alphabet. You are a stupid child. Or when you had to do your teeth, if you're like, mom and dad, I love doing my teeth. I love the taste of toothpaste. Your parents weren't like, what? You have entirely the wrong motivation. You brush your teeth for dental hygiene, not because it tastes good. No, they're like, yeah, keep brushing your teeth. Like you keep doing it until you get the motivation right, until you figure out how to do it. And, and the thing is, you're always going to not quite get it right because our hearts are always wanting to build ourselves up and, and, and make ourselves great. So you keep working at it and then you keep asking Jesus to help you. You keep asking Jesus to, to change your heart. You tell other people, say, I need you to keep me in check. Say, look, I really love this, servant, this leadership stuff. So can you help me to be someone uh, who is doing it for the right reasons? Can you pray with me? Can you challenge me so that I am getting things right? Uh, the best way to fix your attitude is actually to look at Jesus. Because we see that Jesus is the one who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul tells us uh, how we can be people who consider others greater than ourselves. Uh, so if you want to turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, we're going to have a quick look at this passage. So in verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2, it says this, In your relationships with one another, I can still hear pages turning, so you're not quite there yet. Or you're just rustling them just to be annoying. If you haven't found it, it doesn't matter. I'm going to read it. This is what it says. In relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. If you want to make sure that your motivation is right, that your heart is right, then you need to know the gospel. You need to keep reminding yourself that you are someone who deserved Nothing, yet the greatest in the universe became a slave. He became a man and became a slave and became obedient to death on a cross for you. And the more you know that, the more you know what Jesus has done for you, the more it will not matter what other people think of you. It will only matter what God has done for you in Jesus. And so that is why we continue to spend our time in God's Word. We continue to spend our time with each other. We continue to get to know Jesus because the more we know Him, the better we will be able to serve Him. The more we know Him, the better we'll be able to follow in His footsteps and become like Him, serving others the way that He has served us. Now, if you want to know where courage fits into this, uh, being a servant takes courage because it will cost you to be a servant. You will be giving up the things that you want. You might be afraid of losing recognition. You might be afraid of losing opportunities for advancement. These are the things that take courage to say, I'm going to trust Jesus that if I do the things, the lowly things, the jobs that no one else wants to do, that he will look after me. 
You know, doing my current job as being a gas meter reader, uh, I get a bit embarrassed telling people that I do that. Like, because it's not the most, you know, prestigious job. I walk around the streets wearing high-vis, and the only skills I need are to have feet that work and eyes that can read the numbers zero to nine, and then I put it in on a little machine. I want to be able to tell people, like, you know, I do this amazing job, you know, I lead thousands of young people to Jesus, or I'm a really important person, but really it's like I just hang out in strangers' yards. And it's embarrassing for me to say that. Um, and I'm not doing it because I'm some great servant. I'm doing it because I don't want to starve. Uh, but as you choose to do the jobs that are the lowly jobs, it will cost you. And you might be embarrassed to talk about it, embarrassed to take those positions. But I promise you, as you do it, you will discover more about who Jesus is in the lowly jobs than you will when you're doing the impressive jobs. So let's, before we finish, let's do some really practical tips about what this might mean to be servant leaders in your crew groups. When you're a leader back at school, what does it look like? Okay, the first tip is, one, if your heart is wrong, you may need to quit leadership. As we said before, uh, if your heart is in the right place, you might need to step down. Now, that doesn't mean uh, that you step down and then you're like, well, I'm off to play basketball every lunchtime. But you step down and you become the most committed person at your crew group. That you step down and say, my heart is in the right place, so I will just be here every week and I will set up the chairs every week because that is how I will serve. I'm not doing it for the recognition. I'm just doing it to serve my school and to serve Jesus. And you do that and you do that and you, and then when your heart might be right, then maybe you volunteer again. If your heart is wrong, maybe you need to quit. Uh, the second tip is volunteer what needs to be done, not what you want to do. You know, when, when the, the leader says, hey, who wants to do this? There's often this silence. I don't know what it is in your group. It might be that no one wants to run games or it might be that no one wants to run the year seven discussion group. Or no one wants to bring lollies next week. You know where that gap is. That You can be the person who says, yeah, I'll do that. Because if no one else wants to do it, then someone needs to do it. And you can be the one who does it. You don't have to hold out for the, the job that everyone wants. I don't know what that job is in your group. I don't know what you want. But you just say, I will volunteer what, for what needs to be done, uh, not what I want to do. The third one is, submit to your leader, whoever you are. When you're a leader at school, then you're going to have leaders... Uh, who are your age, or sometimes you'll have leaders who are younger than you. And one of the things about being a servant is say, it doesn't matter who it is who is over me. I will, I will submit to them and I will enthusiastically join in with what they ask me to do because I am a servant. That'll mean that when you know, your little brother or sister who is also in leadership is running a game, that you just get in there and like, I'm going to join in this game because that is what I do as a servant that you submit to whoever it is above you because it's not about you, it's about following Jesus. Uh, the, the next one is, uh, if you see something that needs to be done, do it. There are plenty of things around the place that need to be done and people don't see them, but you can keep your eyes out and you can do it. I'll tell you one thing that I've noticed at crew groups that often needs to be done, and that is picking up rubbish and cleaning up at the end of lunchtime. Because at if you're at a lunchtime group, then everyone's eating lunch and then everyone is dropping lunch on the ground and leaving their rubbish and everyone gets up and leaves and then there's a whole bunch of mess for the teacher to pick up at the end. 
So you can be the person that's like, well, I'm going to hang around at the end. I'm going to pick up the rubbish. I'm going to you know, get that meat pie that's squashed into the carpet. I'm going to clean it up off the carpet. And I'm going to put it in the bin because that is how I'm going to serve. Keep your eyes out for the things that need to be done that no one else is noticing. And the last one is ask what needs to be done. I am not someone who is very observant. Like I, I, I think it's great to serve, but I look around like, oh, everything looks fine to me. And so I, one of the things I've had to learn to do is to say, what can I do to help? Because I'm not smart enough to figure it out for myself. And so I can say, what do, can I do to help? And then other people who know better than me, they can tell me what to do. And then when someone says, can you do this? You say, yes, whatever it is, whatever, whether you want to do it or not, it, you do it, unless you can't do it. Like if they're like, get that thing off the high shelf. You're like, look, I'm three foot six. I can't do that. But <laughs> it, if you can do it, you do it. And then the, that's what you do as an individual. And lastly, what can your group do? How can your groups be servants of the school? Because it's not just you who are there to be a servant, but your lunchtime group is there to be a servant of your school. How can you serve the school? Maybe you can be like, look, we're going to just spend time picking up rubbish around the playground. Maybe your school has a working bee on one Saturday a term, and you can say, oh, we're going to come to the school as the crew group, and we're going to serve our school. Maybe you could approach the school principal and say, what needs to be done around here? Or the school caretaker and say, what can we do to help? I promise you, as you are people who serve the school, people will see the work of Jesus in you. They may not recognize you as great people. It would take courage because people will tease you because you're the people who go around and help the school when you could be spending your time doing something more interesting. But as you do that, you'll be following in the footsteps of Jesus, who is the servant. Following Jesus means following in the steps of our great servant leader, the one who came and gave his life for us. If we follow in his footsteps, then it will cost us. It might even cost us our lives. And everything before that is a lesser price than Jesus paid for us. And so we serve. We serve not because it will make us look good, but we serve because it makes him look good. We serve not because it will enhance our reputations, but because we have been given everything we need in Jesus. We don't need to enhance our reputations anymore. We can follow him who served us when he gave his life at the cross. How about I pray for us? Father God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We pray that you'll be helping us to follow in his footsteps, to not misread the situation and see leadership as a chance to enhance our own reputation, but we will see leadership as a chance to serve. I pray that we will know Jesus better, we will know the gospel better, and the gospel will transform us so we might be people who serve. Amen.